Hey, Chicago! Woo! Three titles in six years. Yes, it is worth cheering for. Welcome in to the final episode this decade of Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, Dave Melton, once again. Well, I guess it won't be the final one of the decade because we're recording it on New Year's Eve. It's going to be the first one of the new decade, won't it? Yeah, see, I've already messed this up every single time. I have to mess that up. I have to mess up the intro at some point. So anyway, 2020 is off to a great start. But yes, I'm your host, Dave Melton, assistant editor here at Second City Hockey, and we've got Two of the usual people with me, as always. First off, uh, the man you know, he's bringing all his puns with him into 2020. It's Brandon Kane. Hey, hey, that's me. That, that is you. And we also have the analytics darting of Second City Hockey, who is also having a better season than Patrick Kane. It is Shepard Price. Hi. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss that at a later point on Deep Dish. <laughs> yeah, we'll call you the Nick Benino of Second City Hockey, since you're having a better season than Patrick Kane. I, I'm, I'm fine being a, a member of the Heartbreak Line. <laughs> I actually enjoyed Nick Benino when he was in Pittsburgh. Not so much in Nashville, but I enjoyed him in Pittsburgh. Him, him and uh, – was him and Haglin and Kessel? Was that the line? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Love, love me a good shutdown third line. Uh, but anyway, we're going to talk about Blackhawks hockey because that's the reason we've all gathered here shortly before our New Year's Eve festivities here on December 31st. And it's very interesting. We were talking about this before we came on the air – I don't think any of us had realized this. I, I certainly didn't realize it until Pat Foley said it at the end of the Hawks' most recent game, but they've won five of seven. I had no idea about this. It came after stretch where they lost 10 of 13, so I don't know how great that is. But Shepard, Brandon, if either one of you guys want to take this first, um, any impressions or thoughts or observations that you noticed from the last two to three weeks where the Hawks are starting to pick up some points again? Uh, it's largely on the back of Robin Leonard. Well, who's yeah. Starting to, who's starting to separate himself as the true starter on the on the team? Corey Crawford's been having a really uh, rough stretch here, unfortunately, which means he didn't get the last start of the decade he helped define for the Blackhawks. At, at the same time, like their offense has started to come alive. Their defense, it still misses Calvin DeHaan and Brent Seabrook, both of whom are are valuable. Brent Seabrook's contract is not valuable. Brent Seabrook is a great depth piece, but. Uh, Dennis Gilbert has had a few breakout games now. Adam Boquist starting to look better. I don't I don't know why you said Oli Mata in favor of Slater Cuckoo, but there's <laughs> there's uh there's there's stuff to like about this team, even with how many injuries they have. And uh once once some of those guys come back, like Shaw and Kajula and Saad, you'll start to see I think even more improvement. So so you think I guess the main thing I'm trying to get out of this, and Brandon, I'll swing this over to you, is is there anything that's happened over these last two to three weeks that has led you to believe this is more of the Blackhawks team we're going to see over the rest of the season? Or is this more of just when you play 82 games, you're going to win five of seven at some point? I think it's probably the latter on that. Because last season there was that stretch where they played just god-awful teams and just somehow like won eight in a row. But then they also had two eight-game losing streaks. So it's just the, the ebbs and flows of an 82-game season, I feel. Uh, don't think that this whole penalty kill being amazing is going to be sustain- sustainable for this team. 
because I don't know where that came from, but it's kind of a pleasant thing to watch aside from uh, Robin Leonard's performance. So that's the thing that I've been like, where is this coming from and why is it happening and why can't it happen more often? Well, there's two things that a team could be when they, when they're near the bottom of the league, it's either bad or inconsistent. And it's usually, you know, they're one because of the other. So I don't know. I don't know if the Blackhawks are bad or just inconsistent or both, but uh, the one thing you mentioned about the penalty kill was I'm, I'm trying to find a game by game breakdown of where their penalty kill is. And uh, I don't have that readily available, unfortunately, but where do you guys think they're ranked in the league right now? I'm just, I just pulled this up. So where do you think they're ranked? They're either just outside the top 10 or in the, they're, or they're now in the top 10. Brandon, what about you? If you wrote the preview for today's game, that's cheating. No, I didn't. I would <laughs> say, I'd say they're on the cusp of the top 10. You, you guys are both very good. They're at 10 right now at 82.11, which is unfathomable after last year's such, just such a miserable performance on the penalty kill. It was, as we've said a million times, historically bad penalty kill last season. Is it just – have you guys noticed anything different that they're doing in terms of like the four, is it the four skaters on the ice are doing things better or is it just Robin Leonard standing on his head? It's to a degree. It's Robin Leonard standing on his head, but like they've added more penalty killers. They Ryan Carpenter's doing well. Zach Smith is doing well. Jonathan Taves has started to step up his game, which he wasn't doing last season. And then right. finally, Connor Murphy is healthy. They're their best defenseman. And I, probably at all aspects of the game, I wouldn't mind seeing him on the power play. Connor uh, Murphy. Kind of, on yeah. the power play? He, so watch, watch how many tip-ins people get off of him. He, all, all I need to do is launch a shot at the net, and then Dylan Strom will tip it in. You know, the part of the power play. All right. Maybe the second unit. If, as long as I get Adam Boquist on the first power play unit, because I've had enough of Eric Gustafson on it, give me Adam Boquist on the first power play unit. I don't really care about the second power play unit because it's going to get 20 seconds per penalty kill. So, or per power play, excuse me. But, yeah. I, I guess the most recent evidence you have for that is the goal that Dylan Strom scored against whoever they played Monday night. I can't even remember who the game was against. Columbus, right? Right? Yeah. 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 Against Columbus, Murphy had a shot from the point that Strom deflected de- de- perfectly. So, I don't know. Maybe. Go ahead. He's had a, many, he's had a few of those. At, but this Brandon... point, at this point in the season, I'm willing to let anything, uh, anything go. <laughs> We're recording before the Flames game tonight, and one player whose name has certainly come up on every Blackhawks thing I read, podcast I listen to, uh, report I watch on TV, Alex Nylander's name gets bandied about all over the place. And the last game, I believe his ice time was 719, and now he's going to be a healthy scratch for the game against the Flames here on New Year's Eve. Uh, Shepard, is there – I guess just what what are your thoughts on Alex Nylander right now? Because – I, I know we harped on him in the summer, and then he looked good for a while, and now he's being scratched. So, so what do you make of it? Uh, he's not good. Um, <laughs> he, he, was, he, was, he was the wrong reclamation project, as some of us predicted at the time. I think we, we all – the cautious optimism that swept Blackhawks fans of Blackhawks Nation in the summer leading up to this, to this season – Sort of got us into Nylander, but man, I still I still picture what could have happened with Josh Hosang instead of Alex Nylander. Yeah, I mean, so you would have traded Yokoharu for Joshua Hosang, or he was the player I, that you, you wanted them to claim off waivers, right? I, yes, I would have traded a pick, 
uh, fifth, uh, fourth round pick for Josh Hosang. I don't, I don't think you ever should, that. I don't think Yoki Hari, you should ever have been traded. Well, yeah, I, I think th- there's an interesting debate to go down with the Yoko Haru situation with now the revisionist history of uh, it seemed like they had too many guys on the roster on the blue line. And now Dahan's out for the season. Seabrook's out for the season. And now you probably have a spot on the roster for a guy that you traded away in the summer. So it's, they, it's they, there, there was always a spot if they made the right trade, which was, well, yeah, which was what Eric Gustafson. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and that's, that's another, I think with the benefit of hindsight, I think it's going to be really, uh, I don't know. I, I keep going back and forth on that because at the time of the trade deadline last season, they were still kind of in contention for a playoff spot. Gustafson was in the middle of a 60 point season and it's, you know, it would have been like the white flag trade the White Sox made like 20 years ago where, I mean, it, it's, but it's like, you know, they were on the cusp of getting a playoff spot, but it's not like anybody had them going to the cup. So I can see the argument for trading away Eric Gustafson. If they'd done it last year, I wouldn't have been, you know, offended by it. It would have been, I would have been, it would have been understandable, but it seems like they also were committed to at least trying to get into the playoffs last season for whatever justification they had for it. It seemed like they were committed to riding out that roster and getting as much as they could out of it. So I don't know why. I don't know if trading Eric Gustafson was ever something they were serious about, especially after they won like nine or 10, nine of 10 or something like that in February. Uh, Brandon Kane. The other thing I wanted to ask you about now that you've been watching it from the press box, Brandon, is there anything you've seen in the last month? You kind of touched on this already, but is there anything you've seen out of the last week that offensively speaking has been better for the team or anything that any players that you think are doing things now that they weren't doing earlier this month and that's led to the the brief spurt of winning here? I think the Duncan Keith call-out really actually worked within the locker room because Keith called out the team and himself and said, like, we're – we're just not playing like with any passion. We're just kind of like skating and going through the X's and O's. And I think it was that next game or the game after um, where Taves kind of reinforced that message um, after the, the loss to the devils. And he was just playing frustrated and was like, we just got to like get our act together and go and do it. And then it was those two that, kind of stood out the most in this recent stretch of their play has just been a different level than their teammates and the opposition to where you look at what they're doing on the ice and it just stands out more than it has so far this season. And part of that for Keith is probably him being back after being out for so long. Right. And him just being like, no, like I'm going to play. And I don't think that, Seabrook being done for the season has done much just because it's only been like what a game or two. Uh, so you can't really read into that too much. Um, and everyone kind of seemed in the room that they were, you know, like, Oh, he's not going to be around. It's going to be weird. But that was pretty much the only emotion that there seemed to be. Um, and Kirby doc was like, well, I guess I got to find a new way to get to the rink today. <laughs> yeah. Right. Does he, does he even have a driver's license in, because he's Canadian, and now yeah. he, does he have the ability to drive? I think he does. Okay. I, was just, I can't remember what he said about it, but yeah. we joked around with him, and he was like, yeah, I guess I got to. 
Yeah, he can. He could probably afford an Uber. Because it seemed like when the when the Hawks were, you know, every time they pop up and they're in last place, which I think they're still last in the division. Are they still last? Yeah, they're still last in the division. They're two points behind Nashville. Nashville's two games in hand. But every time they would be like down at the very bottom of the league, like with the the Kings and the Red Wings and the Devils and and the Rangers and all these not the Rangers, excuse me. There's all these other teams that are obviously not trying to win right now. It just always seemed like the Hawks had more talent than that, and that they just weren't. Whether it was the players not caring or the coaches being bad, whatever reason it was, they were not reaching their full potential. Because I look at this roster and it doesn't look like – I'm not going to say it looks like a good team, but it looks like a wild-card bubble team. I didn't think they were going to make the that wild-card bubble, but I figured they would still be in contention for it and not, you know, like where they were two or three weeks ago, just miles away from everyone. I guess Shepard is there. Do you see that as – like, is this team – do you think this team is playing to its full capabilities right now, even even with this last nice stretch that they've had? I don't think you can look at this power play and, and, and the talent that this power play has and say that they're playing to their potential. No, oh, well, we've been saying um, that for a decade. Though. What year is it? <laughs> yeah, my God. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. With how injured they are, I think that also plays a factor. True. But – if, if, if Jeremy Colleton is a tank commander, I don't mind that because why not get a high pick? <laughs> that's a that's an excellent nickname like no matter what sport it is or like how a team like you're rooting for like tank commander like sign me up for that like <laughs> new york giants head coach is a tank commander that just sounds so there you good. go there you go there you go yeah um i yeah i i i know shepherds uh all aboard the tank bandwagon and i, I haven't I'm, I'm not there yet when they had that stretch of losing 10 of 13 i was getting dangerously close they've kind of uh plateaued me for a while we'll we'll see how 2020 goes uh i don't i don't know i don't know where this team's going and i think i think we're gonna we're gonna get i don't it. think they know either yeah it, it, there's it's so confusing like even after they win it's like all right great they won cool but like i could also see how they would lose like the next five even after they win one so it's like i don't i don't see where like even their wins don't really do much to give me much optimism because if they win it's usually the result of Leonard or Crawford making 45 saves which is not a sustainable model no matter how good those goalies can play so and even I'll ask, the, go ahead I'll ask you guys this because you're both White Sox fans oh, does this Blackhawks season kind of remind you of the White Sox season this past summer where it was like if they win great if they lose then that's fine go ahead Jeff. we were we were expecting to be 500 White Sox fans were expecting because that's what the team said in preseason in spring training was that they'd go 500. Um, I don't think the Blackhawks had that expectation laid out. Uh, right. And I think that sort of changes how you look at it. Uh, the white, and I don't think the Blackhawks have the young talent that the White Sox were relying on. Like Aloy Jimenez, Kirby Dot might be that, but I think the, the way you look at it is developing young talent, and that's sort of the same thing. Yeah, and I, I think the other issue too with – and this was – not really a thing with the White Sox, but it is with the Blackhawks, is you have, I mean, Taves came, Keith and Crawford, clocks very much ticking on their careers. Keith and Crawford more so because they're significantly older, but Taves and Kane are now on the wrong side of 30. So every season that the Blackhawks don't do anything, and by I, by that I mean not making the playoffs, every t- you're wasting another year of productivity out of Taves and Kane, and I don't know how many more years you have left out of those two especially Kane, because he's still 
top 10 of offensive weapons in the entire league. And I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to do that. I'd like to think he can do it for another four to five years, but you know, who knows? So I, it's, it's trying to weigh, you know, building the team for the future while getting the most out of the veterans that you still have on the team that are still playing at a high level. And that's why every, you know, this season already kind of feels lost and it already feels like we're burning another year of Taves and Canes. I don't want to say prime because I, well, maybe prime for Kane, but you're just burning another year of them being the players that they've been for the last decade. So, and eventually that's not going to happen anymore. So, and Duncan Keith's even closer to that because he's played 86 million games and he's in his mid slash upper thirties now. So, so it's, it just, it feels like uh, the clock's running out every time they lose a game. So with all of that said, I think we're going to put a bow on the current Blackhawks discussion. And when we come back on the other side of this timeout with this being the end of the decade, and what a decade it was for the Blackhawks. We're going to talk about all the fun that we've had for the last 10 years because, man, that's so much more fun to talk about than anything right now. So uh, we'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Musings on Madison. And as promised before the break, we're going to dive into some reflection here. Uh, we're going to look back at some of the fun we've had for the last decade. The Blackhawks winning three Stanley Cups in six seasons. Uh, damn near coming within a bad bounce off Nick Letty of potentially repeating his champions in 2014. And just, there was just this glorious time more in the middle of the decade when I had supreme confidence whenever the Hawks played that they were going to win. And if they played somebody bad, I had supreme confidence that they were going to embarrass their opponent. I don't have that anymore, but we're not worried about that right now. We're just going to talk about how great the last decade has been. And Shepard, I know you said you were kind of a late arrival to hockey, uh, that you, you joined when you got into the sport and when it didn't exist because it was during the lockout. Yep. And we have to specify which lockout because that's how hockey or the NHL works, excuse me. I mean, there's only one lockout this decade, though. True, true. That, uh, that's, that's progress. They've actually averaged one lockout a decade, so I don't know. Under Barry Bittman, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll take odds for the which one will happen near the 2020s. So, Brandon Kane, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, I guess just what's, what's the number one thing on your mind about the last decade of Blackhawks hockey and just everything that – all the fun and exciting things that we got to watch and experience over the last 10 years? Like my biggest takeaway from it? Yeah. When, when you're talking about this team in 20, 30 years, what do you think is the first thing you'll go to? Oh, boy. Um, the – very first thing that comes to my mind didn't happen in the decade. It happened okay. in 2009. Okay. And it was the five goal comeback against Calgary. Okay. That's that is like the number one thing. Cause it was only like, it was in that first 10 game stretch of the season. And everyone knew coming off that Western conference final run that when they got stopped by Detroit, like this is a team, they signed Hosa, like they are for real, but that game specifically kind of signaled to me like, no, this is like cup or bust for real and not like this season, but for multiple. Um, and that, I don't know why, but it just one of those games where you remember where you were, who you were around with and you're like, okay, like this is something, this is going to happen. I, I, everyone, I think every Hawks fan had, uh, that aha moment at some point between 2008 and 2000, and the first half of 2010 where they realized like, 
like something's happening here. And I think like when, when Taves and Kane debuted together, I think it was, it was encouraging that things were changing, but I was was trying to decide what moment for me, it was where I realized where that team was like legitimately going somewhere. Uh, It could be, I think the, the West coast trip, because they used to, the Blackhawks there at the United center, they used to have the circus trip or the circus would come to the United center around Thanksgiving and the Hawks would go to the West coast and the bulls would too. And so the Hawks always played Thanksgiving uh, the night before Thanksgiving, they always played a West coast game. So when you're out drinking in your hometown bar, just before Thanksgiving, you had a Blackhawks game to watch if people were annoying you. And I remember the, I think that trip that they had in 2009, they just smoked everybody. And at that time, like the West, the, all the teams in the West were pretty formidable. Like that was when San Jose was good and the Kings were good and the Ducks were good and the Hawks just smoked all of them. And that's when I think that was one of the biggest realizations for me that, yeah, this team's probably going somewhere. And, uh, and that's, I think compare the, compare how good the Hawks got to how bad and how irrelevant they were earlier that decade. And this is, was one thing I mentioned in the article that appeared on New Year's Eve on our website at secondcityhockey.com. And Brandon, I'm, I know you'll be more familiar with this than, than uh, Shepard was because again, later of the hockey and all that. But anyway, the Hawks like didn't exist in the city of Chicago in the mid 2000s. Like, I, I don't think I can ad- adequately explain this. Like, you had to be alive during that time to know or just be aware of hockey. Like, if you went to a Hawks game, the Hawks existed inside that building. But if you walked outside, everything was about the Bulls because they were still living off the Jordan years. Like, there were no billboards in the city. There were no, you know, there was no Blackhawk store on the Mag Mile. You couldn't, like, I remember going to the local Dick Sporting Goods or Sport Mart, wherever the hell the store was back then. You couldn't even buy a Blackhawks hat. There was literally nothing at the store for you to buy because nobody cared about the Blackhawks or kind of hockey in general around that time. And I think the lockout only made things worse. And so it's, that's the craziest thing for me is to go from a time where the Blackhawks were irrelevant everywhere to where they are all over the city. I, don't, I couldn't say they own the city because it's still a bear city and it always will be as long as the NFL owns – the top spot in the country, but um, it's it's just it's amazing now how much I see Hawks gear everywhere. I see people wearing Hawks gear, people talking about the Blackhawks. Even now, when they're about to miss the playoffs for the third season in a row, there's still Hawks jerseys all over the place. I still see it all the time. Every time you go to a bar, if the Hawks are on, people are watching it. That never used to happen. So, uh, Shepard, like again, I know you joined on when the Hawks had the maybe the best, most enjoyable stretch of this entire run when they opened the 2013 season by not losing for in regulation for half the year. But uh, I guess what kind of stands out to you about this whole uh, thing we've been dealing with the last decade or so? I remember my dad's reaction to the 2010 because he he he's an older Hawks fan is that like it was a shrug. Well, it wasn't a shrug, but it was wasn't the same reaction as the White Sox because that you they just disappeared off the face of the planet basically for for even even the most dedicated Black Blackhawks fans after right. the ninety that they disappeared so them coming back and winning immediately was not it was it wasn't as maybe as big as it could have been and that's sort of why 2013 and 2015 are are such pivotal moments in Chicago sports history because um, they were finally like the kings not well not the kings but the Kings. I, I, I know what you meant. I know what you meant. <laughs> not the, the Los Angeles. 
not the Los Angeles Kings capitalized, the lowercase Kings. Yes. They were the Kings of Chicago again. And then it it was. Yeah. That's, that's, that's sort of what I remember is that is those runs. And then uh, Corey Crawford's infamous uh, Stanley cup speech. (laughs) What's what, what was wrong with that? I thought it was perfectly acceptable. No, it's that's what, that's maybe the moment that stands out the most to me is fucking right. Chicago. I know it's I, I I would I can't believe uh, no one's put that on have some someone had to put that on a t shirt at some point, right? Because I'd yeah. I'd wear that t shirt all the time. Yeah. I oh, had, so uh, I had... back to your uh, your two thousand nine thing. Yeah. They went on a let's see four one in one stretch during that trip. Okay. And the thing that you probably remember the most is that seven to two spanking in San Jose. That was because that was Hosa's first game. I that was, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they signed him and he had shoulder surgery, so he couldn't play. And they walked and they just destroyed San Jose. Like, like I, I, I was, I can't remember how much I was watching at the bar, but I just, I'm sure my jaw was on the floor the whole time, just because they, San Jose. I feel like every time the Hawks would go to the West Coast, they would just, they would get demolished. Like it was the end of any type of winning streak or good stretch of play that they had. The West Coast ruined everything for the Blackhawks, but that year it did not. So the, the math I was doing here really quick while uh, you guys were talking there is the one stat I wanted to include this in the article I wrote and I forgot about it. So I'm going to put it here because this was, this is, I think the, the enduring memory for me from, from all these Blackhawks teams in 13, 14 and 15, those three postseasons, the Blackhawks played a total of 23 games, uh, 23 game sixes and game sevens. Do you know how many of them they lost? None. They lost two. <laughs> so in game six and game seven for three postseasons, their record was 21 and two. So that means when they were facing elimination, well, I guess they wouldn't be faced. They might've been facing elimination in some of the game sixes, but at, at the end of the series, the Blackhawks were game near impossible to beat. And every time it seemed like the Blackhawks were possibly running on fumes or something wasn't working or they might be getting eliminated, or just any time it looked like something was going wrong in a playoff series, they figured it out, and they won the series. I, I don't know any team that could ever possibly recreate. I would have to do a lot of math to find that out. But a 21-2 stretch in game six and seven over three postseasons is ridiculous. Bonkers. Yeah, I mean, it was like it was like the opposite of every other Chicago sports fan experience I've had in my life where <laughs> whenever there was a big game, the Hawks won it. Like every other big game I, I can think of that featuring every other Chicago sports team, they would lose. I mean, the, any number of Bears games, plenty of White Sox games, the Cubs prior to 2016. So – and then Blackhawks just completely erased any of that. It was so – antithetical to everything I'd experienced before then. And the one story I, I told someone else about this within the last week, and I wanted to mention it here, this kind of goes back to the irrelevancy that the Blackhawks had. When I went to, I went to college down in central Indiana, not exactly known as a hockey hotbed. And for the four years I was there, I met one other hockey fan, let alone Blackhawks fan. Five or six years later, I was back on the campus and I walked down to the coffee shop on campus and the girl behind the counter was wearing a Blackhawks hat. In the middle of central Indiana, way away from <laughs> hockey avenues, there was Blackhawks fans down that far again. I think that was my 
one of my realizations of holy shit, this team is actually registering on people's radars again. Yeah, I think the, I think there might have been a season or at the early part of that half decade where the White Sox were watchable, like 2012 <laughs> or 2011. Watchable. There was like a 20 mid 2000 right before they tore everything down they had a really a decent team and they were in playoff contention come september and then they lost like eight of ten or something and okay yeah they completely went in the tank and that kind of ruined the entire that's when they uh the calls to dismantle everything got really loud and then i think a year later they did it yeah so like my point is like baseball was bad for both sides of town the bears were whatever the hell that was <laughs> good for 2010. And that was about it. Yeah. And then the, the bulls were good before Derek Rose tore his knee. So that stretch of, you know, after the knee injury to, I guess like the UC in general, like the, the bulls and the Blackhawks ran the city for that stretch. Yeah. The, yeah, the I- first part of the decade. So it was, Eh, whatever, like the summer of sports with baseball. But then, like, it was appointment viewing to watch the Blackhawks and, I guess, kind of the Bulls, too. Um, So it was everyone just made it a point to, hey, like, let's get people together. Let's watch the Hawks games. And then that just became even more of a thing in 2013, like Shepard was saying, where just night in and night out, you were, like, watching – to make sure like that win streak stayed alive. Right. And then when it didn't, and then when it ended, everyone was just like, Oh, all right. Like they'll just keep winning. Like they were on the front cover matter. of sports illustrated. Like that they was, were called, the, they were called the team that saved hockey after that lockout. Yeah. 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 The team, you're welcome to the rest of the NHL. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, and um, Brandon, going back to your point about the bulls and Blackhawks, there was one night it was a, there was a Hawks Canucks game, uh, a playoff game. And it was also the night the Bulls Celtics had that crazy triple overtime game that they ended up winning at home. Like, oh that yeah, was one of the most fun sports nights I can remember of my entire life watching both playoff teams, both Chicago teams play in playoff games, and they both actually won for a change. Because I don't think a lot of people remember that night, though. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I I am one of the few. Think all right. I, I mean that one that was a vivid memory because that was very near my my time in college and that was like I was so because I was excited to come back to the Chicago area where all these fun sports things were starting to happen Shepard I know you've been down in uh, Texas over the last few years have you were you there during any of the Hawks cup runs I was I was I've been in Chicago uh, for the cup runs 2013 okay and then in in college or 2015 because yeah because I wonder if it's a different experience when you're following the team from afar because there's something there's something to be said for like just going, you go to the grocery store and everybody's wearing a, a Hawks shirt or hat or something. There's, there's something, I don't know. There's something really cool about that to me. Like, it seems like every Sunday, if you go to the grocery store before a bears game, everybody's got a bears Jersey on. Cause that's just kind of the way the Chicago area is. But during the Hawks season in the summer, when they're playing in the middle of June, they're, you know, the Cubs and Sox are playing, but it's the middle of baseball season and they play 162 games. So everyone was kind of hockey crazy for three or four summers and I still I, I still can't believe it happened sometimes. Like it, it was so it was so crazy to be around that vibrant of a hockey market in Chicago. And I, I don't think it's it hasn't really happened ever since then, like because of 
how much they've kind of faded away uh, from ever from being so dominant in the middle of the decade. Uh, any other games or moments? I guess Shepard, I we've Brandon and I have talked a lot here, but Shepard, is there any moments or anything that really stands out to you about uh, the middle of the decade and the dominance the Blackhawks had? I don't. I, so uh, speaking for young fans, I don't think it's possible to describe how much the Brent Seabrook game seven did 2013 Detroit goal means. Um, yes. <laughs> that, that was such a standout moment that it's just, it, that'll live on forever, basically. Oh, absolutely. I can. That, that goal is his legacy. Um, and then uh, 2015 was important to me because I was in Boston and I felt closer to that, to that team than any other one. Um, and I had to fly back in the middle of the series for something. And then I had to fly back to Boston because I was in college in Boston. And then that was the, those two cup runs and 2014 too, because they basically should have won. That, that, that was basically the Stanley cup final uh, that year was Kings Blackhawks. Um, yeah. And I think those, it's, those, it's yeah. Those three seasons were so important because I think like this is kind of what the Cubs are going through right now is that when you when you build up this young core and you have so much talent and there's so and you win a cup that or you win a championship that early, the expectation is that more are gonna follow. Like obviously the Bulls followed through on that back in the nineties and the Bears didn't back in the eighties. And I think that's always they always mentioned the eighty five Bears won a Super Bowl, but that was the only one they got. And the, you know, there's no, there's no like leftover regrets with the nineties bulls because they won six. I don't think even if the Blackhawks don't get to a fourth one, I don't think there's going to be too many regrets because they still won three. If the current iteration of the Cubs only wins one's title, I think they're going to be just like the 85 bears. What it'll be, you won the one title, but, and I think that was what was so cathartic about the 13 and 15 cup victories is it kind of cemented this whole era as like, this was all worth it. Like this was all, getting your hopes up and getting this invested in the team. And there was actually a payoff at the end of it when it hasn't happened so many other times and not just with Chicago sports, but just sports fans in general, like not a lot of people got to get to watch their teams win three titles in six years, unless you live in Boston and all those people suck. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, 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 and as, and as much as everybody hates them, Gary Bettman called the Blackhawks a dynasty and that's yeah. cathartic. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate th- those debates get so annoying to me. Like, I don't, I don't really care whether or not the team is a dynasty, but they won three titles in six years. Nobody else has done that this century. The last team to do that, I believe would have been the Oilers winning four in a row in the eighties. Nobody's done three and six in the salary cap era. I think the Red Wings were three and seven because they won two in a row. I forget the exact math on that, but, um, but yeah, it was just, it was, it's, it's by far the most fun I've had as a sports fan, hands down bar none. And, uh, I hope we get to experience something like that again very soon. Yeah. So one more thing on this. Go ahead. Did either of you guys go to a parade? I went to all three. I went to the White Sox parade in 2005, but not the Blackhawks. I, okay. I was working at – I was uh, sitting in the break room at Target where I was working in 2005 when the White Sox had that parade, and I regret it to this day that I didn't call off work. Womp. But I yeah, went to the 2013. I was, I, was in, I was in fifth grade. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was in two th- I just graduated high school and so I I started working at Target that summer. So yeah. You Brandon, how old were you? You were in high school, right? In two thousand five, I mean. 
Yeah. Okay. I was a freshman. Makes you feel a little bit. Makes you feel a little bit better. But Golly. Brandon. Um, but yeah, like just the, like the going to the Hawks parade, just like the the sea of red, just yes. like that's just so etched in my mind of seeing all these like. Well, let's just, let's just be honest. Drunken idiots in hockey sweaters <laughs> and like ninety degree heat. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was so. But it's fine because we were all drunken idiots. Yeah, yeah. Were you even twenty, uh, Brandon? I can't believe you would have been a drunken idiot if you weren't of legal age. I went to the twenty thirteen one, so oh, okay. I was there. okay. Sorry, didn't mean to. Didn't mean to publicly <laughs> call you out on the air. Yeah, but just like the way they went from like twenty ten, like oh yeah, we'll just like go like very downtown and do this. Mm-hmm. And then 2013, they were like, no, like that can't be a thing. We cannot do that again. Like, yeah, that was bad news. <laughs> the 2010 parade had way too many people because it was like, it was a Friday in the summer. And so, like, you had kids weren't in school. And then, you know, adults that had jobs could just take a three day weekend. And that parade was, I've never seen that many people in one place in my life. Like, that's. And the rally was like in the city. Yeah, it was right. It was right at the, as the uh, right as Michigan Avenue crosses the river, they put the the podium right there, so yeah. just south of the Mag Mile. <laughs> yeah, I, I we were is lunacy. You know, and I I just so I, I don't know if you guys remember this, but as the buses rolled down Michigan Avenue, um, some of the fans started hopping the security gates and following the bus up the street. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mob yeah. mentality took over. I was with some of those people. Now we were well a good distance back from the buses we didn't get caught up that well but i do have a video that i took on a digital camera because it was 2010 of me running down michigan avenue with confetti going off all around me so that's something the blackhawks gave me i got to run down michigan avenue through a ticker tape parade which will never happen again i'm pretty confident in saying that but because the blackhawks won the cup and had a parade i got to do that so so that was cool um but yeah there were just i never the parade that year i think that the 2013 one I don't even think we tried to get to Grand Park. I think we saw the buses roll by, and then we just like went to a bar and watched it on TV, watched Corey Crawford drop F-bombs, because you couldn't move. There was nowhere to go. There were just people everywhere. Yeah, I went down to Grand Park, and it was yeah, it was even worse than 2010. Yeah, yeah that's, so. again, like, that's, I think short of the, the only thing that surpassed that was the, the Cubs rally, and that would have been, I don't know what the weather was like for that Cubs rally, but with the, the Blackhawks one being right in the middle of summer, just – just people everywhere. And again, going back to the thing I mentioned earlier, every just so much Blackhawks gear. I didn't know what to do with myself. It was just, it was so crazy. In the interest of leveling all this off, by the way, that White Sox season I mentioned, Brandon, it was in 2012. They were three games up on September 18th, and then they went two and 10. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. God. <laughs> <laughs> So again, so you see why I took really so twist the dagger. <laughs> oh man! So now you see why I took so much joy in the Blackhawks because everything else about sports at that time in my life had been a disappointment. Now, as we make an awkward segue from talking about the White Sox to returning to the Blackhawks, um, the main thing I want to ask you guys about just going forward is we, there's always been talk about the core of the team, and I think this goes back to the original group that had Taves, Kane, Keith, Seabrook, Sharp, and then like Yomerson was kind of in it, Crawford was kind of in it. But anyway, like the group that was there for at least two of the three cups, and there's only four guys left now, and I, I think we're kind of – I'm kind of riding off Seabrook because I don't think he's going to be playing, and I feel like his career might have just ended, but we'll, we can get into the, that later. But anyway, out of Taves, Kane, Keith, and Crawford, 
Do you think, and Shepard, I'll bring this to you first. Do you think any four of those players win a fourth cup in Chicago? In Chicago is the operative phrase here. Because is the operative phrase here. If they win it somewhere else, we don't care. Because Corey, Corey Crawford might get traded to a, to a contender, and we know how good he is in the playoffs. Yes. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if 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 Chicago will embrace an Edmonton Stanley Cup win, even if Corey Crawford's their goaltender. I'd be okay with that, as because I think Connor McDavid deserves it just because he's trying to single-handedly carry a franchise. So, well, I'd be okay. I'd, I could get on board with Edmonton. I have no single hate. single-handedly with Leon Draisaitl. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that'd be fine with me. I I don't think anybody they don't have Sam Gagne scoring nine points a game against the Blackhawks anymore, so I have no reason to hate Edmonton. Yeah. Um, I, I hope so. The answer is I hope so, but I don't, <laughs> I don't too. know how, I don't, I don't know how many of them, st- how, how long any of them stick around in Chicago anymore. I don't, I don't know if, if the Blackhawks do embrace the tank, do they trade one or two or maybe more of those four? Uh, there, there's, there's fits for each of them. Right. Realistically, Jonathan Taves could go to Columbus. Kane could go to the East Coast somewhere. Duncan Keith really does fit Toronto. Um, these are teams with besides Columbus without cap space, but the Blackhawks can make it work. Um, I I don't know. the The, the truth yeah. is, I think that I think the only one of those four or, or more, uh, if you mentioned two out of the three, is Brandon Sod because Brandon Sod is still young. Yeah, yeah, and I, it's. Not that Brandon Sod's not part of the long-term picture in Chicago, but, like, the original core is why I kind of left him out of the group because I, I know Crawford only has two rings, so maybe just out of Taves, Kane, and Keith, is, do any of those three get a fourth ring because Crawford only has the two? Cause, yeah. Yeah. Brandon, what about you? Do you think – I guess we can kind of include Crawford in there as well, but do you think out of, out of those guys that we've mentioned, do you think any of them win another cup in Chicago? I think the only one that is feasible is Kane. And that's not just because we share the same last name, but different spelling. <laughs> um, I feel like Kane is going to be the, you know, ta- kind of Yarmir Yager of this era <laughs> where he just plays forever. Just without as good of hair. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel like he's 31 now. I could, I could see him playing into his 40s. Uh, he's kind of detailed that he's been on the whole – Tom Brady nutritional plan and that thing as you know, you get older, you get more into your nutrition to maximize what your body can do as you age. Right. Um, so I feel like if there's one that is going to have the potential to do it, it's Kane. Um, I feel like just being a center and like the wear and tear, I feel like Taves will retire like two years or three years before Kane would think of hanging it up. Um, and then Keith is what thirty two now thirty three more than 30. he's thirty four thirty four okay well I was off yeah he was drafted in two thousand two yeah that if you ever like get bored and you want to look up some random Blackhawk shit look up Keith's draft photo it is something <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about it and it is it is delightful I we can't show you on the podcast so look it up for yourselves it's it's wonderful. He's got some blonde streaks in those uh Frosted those tips, man. That was all the rage back in 2002. Duncan yeah. Keith is 36 years old, by the way. Oh, boy. Yeah. We, we were – everyone was off. So, yeah, he's a year I think, older I than think, Crawford. I think Zebra is 34. 
Maybe that's what I was thinking of. I was getting those yeah. confused. Yeah, but. Seabrook is 34. He'll be, yeah. There you go. Yeah, so I think the, the consensus, if you were to ask people, would be that Kane is the most likely, and then you just kind of go back by age. Yeah, I, I think that's – I think Shepard's point, though, that I think Corey Crawford might have a – as far as in Chicago, I think Patrick Kane would be my number one pick. If it was just win a cup and win another cup in general, I think Corey Crawford would be interesting because, like Shepard was saying, if we get to the deadline and the Hawks are selling off parts, Corey Crawford makes a lot of sense for a team that needs a goalie. Either maybe San Jose needs a goalie, or I don't know. If, I haven't been following Toronto too closely, but I know Frederick Anderson's never really been the guy. So Frederick Anderson is an All Star this year. Is he really? Yep. Talk to me and talk to me in May. We'll see if he's an All Star in May because that's always been the issue with him. But anyway, uh, I think having a goalie that is such a high-demand position that Corey Crawford could very easily get shipped off to another team and lead them to a cup run and then become like Chris Osgood, but way better, essentially. Just shows up in the cups and then wins them for teams that are not the Red Wings, which is also appreciated. Um, But as far as in Chicago, I think like the point you guys are making about Patrick Kane, like it seems like he can – he was never the fastest player to begin with. So even if he loses a step, like it seems like he still has the – he's like the hands I don't think are going anywhere. He, the hockey IQ probably isn't going anywhere. Even if he loses a step, he can still find his way into openings. Even if you just keep him on your team as a power play specialist, um, which, again, maybe not the best because – or maybe not the best thing to reference because of how bad the Blackhawks' power play is right now. But maybe right. you put him with some more – offensive-minded players, it can result in a better power play. But it does seem like his he's going to buck the trend for a lot of people. Like I don't, I don't feel like he's slowing down anytime soon. I know we were talking about that earlier, of uh, the concern about wasting whatever years Taves and Kane have left. But it, just, it seems like Kane's just going to keep plugging along, scoring 80, 90, 100 points for the next four to five years. And – if the guys, if the rest of the players around him figure it out, Kane could be part of another cup run in Chicago, which if he wins a fourth one, that would be, yeah. I mean, I think his, him and Taves and Keith probably already have statues guaranteed outside the United Center, but maybe they get a little bit bigger with each, uh, each extra cup that they are able to win. Yeah. Um, it should be interesting. I think we're going to dive into this a lot more because I think the next two months are going to be very telling for where this team is going and how soon they intend to be back in contention, not just for a playoff spot, but to win another cup. Because at some point with Taves and Kane in their 30s, Keith at 36, something's got to give soon. They can't just keep doing what they're doing now and being mediocre and stockpiling young talent. Eventually, you got to take the step forward or blow the whole thing up. So I guess, I guess that's what we're going to find out in the upcoming uh, weeks and months ahead. Uh, but any other final thoughts on – whatever it is that we were just doing for the last hour, gentlemen. I, I think it was a great decade, and I still miss Marion Hosa. Yeah, here, here. I will forever miss Marion Hosa. Brandon, what about you? It was fun. Don't poo-poo it. Enjoy it. There's going to be a lot of, like, Blackhawks PR push if they don't make the playoffs about that 2010 run. And just enjoy it. Don't be a piss on in on it. Oh, is that directed at me? <laughs> no, not at you. Just the like, peoples. I do feel like sometimes they 
they overdo it. Like, I think the, the one more shift for Versteeg kind of got to me. Like, two months ago, this guy was in the organization, and now he's getting the retirement treatment. It's like it kind of it cheapened the whole one more shift thing for me because they started off doing it with guys like Belfour and Ronick who were carryovers from eras past. And now right. you're doing it while – while Versteeg's teammates are still on the damn team. So that that's where it got a little I don't know. It got it got a little weird for me. And and when they keep doing all the PR of ten years ago when the team sucks right now, I, I guess I don't know. It, January seventh, look out. It'll be Crystal Ball Huey probably. <laughs> maybe they're, they can, they're they're doing twenty ten guys, so he's the one that makes sense to me. Maybe they could celebrate maybe they could celebrate that seven to one debacle he had in Columbus right around spring break because I was I went to that game nearly died on the drive home because it was the worst weather of all time drove three hours to watch the Hawks lose seven to one in Columbus and thought maybe this team's not going to win the Stanley Cup I was very much wrong and I'm glad I was but uh that's my number one Cristobal Huey memory so that's the thing that uh Versteeg pointed out during his shift thing he said like everyone got down on Huey and the whole locker room was like well shit dude like that sucked but we're behind you yeah. And people were like booing and telling him like trade him or whatever. And then he had a good game the next time out. Yeah. Yeah. That was, so. yeah, that was fun. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Musings on Madison. Thank you so much for listening. I am underscore Dave Melton on Twitter. Shepard Price is at Shepard Price on Twitter. Brandon M. Kane is, or Brandon Kane is at Brandon M. Kane on Twitter. You can also follow our Second City Hockey account at 2ND City Hockey. Uh, follow us on Spotify, uh, on iTunes. If you want to leave us a review, that'd be great as well. Five stars would be delightful if you think we're worthy of it. We think we are, but I don't know. you got to tell us. Um, but thanks again for listening. we got plenty more content coming in the new year and the new decade. Uh, and I guess we'll just talk to you then. And, uh, yeah, let's do this again now, please. For the love of God. Da, 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 da.